I got a girl with a mind on love The kind of love that is dangerous It knocks me down but I get back up Hey everyone, welcome back to Kevin and the Wu-Tang Clan. Today, I have two guests on the podcast as Tom Brady ends up leaving the New England Patriots finally for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I bring on two of my good friends, Joe Cho in the first half to talk, and he's a huge Patriots fan, to talk about Tom Brady and his impact in New England um, for the Patriots over the past 20 years. And then on the second half, half of the podcast, me and my friend Chris Cardone rejoice as Jets fans. And um, yeah, excited that Tom Brady is finally gone from the AFC East, finished tormenting the Jets once and for all. So me and Chris talk about that and get our feelings out there. So thanks again for listening um, to the podcast. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get and listen to podcasts. So thanks. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Kevin and the Wu-Tang Clan. This is a bit of an emergency podcast. I know that we recorded um, day one of NFL Free Agency, my reactions. So if you guys haven't listened to that, check that one out. But obviously, we have big news today. Um, we're recording this at 8.47 p.m. Eastern time. So a little bit late on the news and the reaction. But we've already seen where Tom Brady decided this morning that he wasn't going to be um, going back to the Patriots. And now he's found his new home in Tampa Bay uh, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I brought on my good friend, Joe, um, to react to all of this news. He's probably one of the biggest Patriots fans I know. So, Joe, welcome on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me back, Kev. Yeah, dude. Um, so, it's been pretty crazy. Like, give me your general reactions about what you – I mean, I saw all of your Instagram stories, um, <laughs> sad, sad tears and everything like that. But give me your general reaction when you found out when you saw Tom Brady's Instagram post and it's kind of interesting that he posted it on Instagram, didn't have like a formal like press release through like TV 12 or anything like that. He was just like, I'm going to just do it like the millennial way, put it, put it out on Instagram. Yeah. Clearly he does not have a uh, stake in the players tribune. <laughs> so, um, right. Um, but yeah, dude, I woke up this morning, something felt off. Like the air was weird. Um, it's probably a little bit of the coronavirus, but uh, something, <laughs> yeah. something something was off, man. And then uh, it's like 8.30 in the morning. I, like, roll over and look at my phone, and, like, it buzzes, and I get this, like, Bleacher Report notification. It's like Tom Brady has announced his decision to not return to the Patriots. And, like, I just laid in bed for, like, another hour. And I don't know. I just didn't know what to do. Because um, I think yeah. I, I've, had, I've had friends who've been like, Joe, you should have known this was coming. And I'm like, no. I did not know this was coming. I refused to believe this until, like, it actually happened. And, well, here I am. Yeah, and I, I think it was just really fascinating just to get the news. I kind of woke up pretty late, actually, and there was a bunch of notifications on my phone. Um, but, yeah, I'd wo woken up fairly late, and I was just basically kind of uh, waking up and seeing all the reactions from my friends saying, like, oh, wow, he, uh, Tom Brady's not going back to New England. Um 
in my expert opinion, it seems like you're going through the stages of grief right now, actually, um, just from just from you staying in bed for an hour, an extra now, hour allowing us to do that because of coronavirus. But it's it's been pretty crazy to kind of like um, just put all of that into perspective. Um, his 20 year career in New England just gone like that. And then um, I don't know, what were you, I, I guess like, I don't know how to contextualize this, but what was like your general reaction when you heard that tonight he decided that he's going to go to Tampa? Um, my first reaction is that I think, at first I was confused because like just my general opinion of Tampa Bay has been very poor. I mean, I think everyone's has been in that like they are not a very competitive team. They've been somewhat rudderless, you know, with their coaching, with Jameis Winston and all this stuff. And like, I mean, Bruce Arians publicly coming out, like criticizing Jameis Winston, Jameis Winston getting LASIK. Like, but then like I thought about it a little bit more and you realize that a lot of the problems probably centered around the name that I said a lot, Jameis Winston, you know? And so it makes me realize that, and then you like look at the actual team itself and then you recognize, I mean, the defense kind of like uh, defense is just, it's okay, but Oh my God, that offense is going to put up some serious numbers. He's throwing to Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, who is the highest rated, one of the highest rated wide receivers in the NFL. Um, OJ Howard is monster of a tight end. And so, I mean, you're thinking about weapons and a, a great place for Brady to throw. I mean, Tampa Bay's it. Yeah, I I think it's a really interesting choice, like, especially, I, I really can't even imagine what he's going to look like with a modern Tampa Bay jersey. Like, it just, oh, God. it's just so, it's kind of like a horrifying thing, and I'm a Jets fan, so, like, <laughs> you know how I feel about this whole thing. Um, but, yeah, I think it's really interesting that you point out a lot of the offensive weapons, um, but what... Belichick kind of did with the offense in in New England was kind of center um, on a lot more short passes, um, kind of had the completion uh, percentage up and have a fairly strong running game over the past couple of years to sport him. And obviously there've been a bunch of different iterations of this type of offense um, throughout Tom Brady's 20-year career. So there were, you know, there are times where he had nothing, like the Rache Caldwell, Jabbar Gaffney, that type of era. Mm-hmm. But, like, there was also years where he had, like, a ton of talent. That 07 Patriots team um, with Randy Moss and then breaking all those uh, offensive records. So it's, it, it shows that he can play different, a couple different ways. What I'm a little bit concerned with in terms of his move to Tampa is the lack of a running game. Um, and yeah, and I the wonder, lack of an offensive line. Right, exactly. And that has got to be something that um, I think is a little bit ner- like scary for someone like Tom Brady that's 43 and going into a new situation, um, trying to deal with all of those types of things. And um, also, Bruce Arians' offense is a really downfield passing offense. And if you look at some of the stats, Brady's offensive output, just throwing the ball deep, that's kind of where he's suffered a lot more in the pre, probably the past three to five years. Right. So I, mean, I think in, that might be a concern as well. Yeah, I think to, like, counter that, um, I mean, you look at the deep threats Brady's had since um, Randy Moss and 
I mean, for the most part, they're all not, I would say no name players, but I mean, we had, you know, one and a half seasons of Josh Gordon. We had um, Philip Dorsett trying to like, you know, sub in as a deep threat. We had like a year of uh, what's his name. He's on the uh, Rams now, Brandon cook. Um, Like we've had nothing, you know, there's been no legitimate deep threat that we've had to rely on. And so, I mean, you look at, you know, it's like you could say, okay, he doesn't throw the deep ball well, but at the same time, we don't have receivers that run the deep ball well or can even run the deep or like run deep routes and take the top off the defense. But then you look at a guy like Mike Evans, who's a legitimate number one. And then like last year, you know, we barely had a legitimate number two. You know, I mean, Edelman suffered from like the most drops in his career last year. Muhammad mm-hmm. Sanu is straight garbage. Uh, like everyone Check else is just, for him. Yep. Yeah, I know. Total waste of money. Oh, my God. What a waste of a pick. Um, Rucker's oh, my right God. There. Proud yeah. state of New yeah. Jersey. <laughs> I mean, we've had good success with Rucker's grads, like the McCourty twins, you know? Like, that's Deron a great – Yeah. Deron Harmon, like, oh, my God. Turns out we just can't draft offensive players or take the offensive players. We came from Rutgers. But then you got Chris Godwin, who is a Penn State grad, um, running the intermediate routes. And you have a legitimate one-two threat from the re- from the receiving core. You have O.J. Howard as a big-body tight end who can go up there and get it in the red zone. Like you're thinking at you're looking at like a three-headed monster on the offensive end, being led by the greatest quarterback of all time. And like you think about okay, like you know the, the lack of a running game. You have a lack of like a somewhat poor offensive line. Like I think Jameis went back maybe either the most or second most in the NFL. But then you just think about, like, the nature of a quarterback, right? And it's calling out protections. It's being able to identify a defense, being able to get the ball out of his hands, right? And so I think the one thing Jameis suffered from was holding onto the ball, looking for the home run, you know, ball. And so I think a lot of those things that, you know, I think if you put Jameis behind the Pats offensive line last year, he probably would have had a similar number of sacks to what he had in Tampa Bay. Because, I mean, you could think that a lot of those problems are on him, not necessarily just on the line. And so I yeah. think Brady, yeah, Brady comes in and immediately improves everything. Yeah, I, I think there's a bit of, like a, a bit of give and take in terms of what the quarterback does. Um, offensive structure, obviously, offensive play calling, the ability for the quarterback to get the ball out of his hands so he, you know, doesn't take sacks, doesn't take hits or pressures. And Brady did a, a masterful job within the context of that Patriots offense. And I think he had a really solid offensive line. Um, they had a couple injuries last year that kind of were was making it a little bit tougher for them in terms of shifting um, a couple guys around. Um, but I think overall that offensive line and the continuity that they had um, was – fairly solid over the course of his career in New England. So I think that's probably something to look out for. Um, Yeah, I I just think there's so many other storylines coming out of this that can be, that's going to, that's going to be fascinating. Like, can he lead Tampa to Super Bowl in Tampa Bay next year? Um, (laughs) It's like, that's, that's going to be a fascinating um, storyline going into next year. Also, it's just kind of interesting, like, why he ended up choosing Tampa over all the other options that were reported um, that were reported that he had. Like, I think LA, um, the LA chargers were a possibility as well, which I think was actually a better situation for him. Um, Better offensive line, like 
maybe not his great offensive weapons, but he still had from some fairly solid weapons and Austin Eckler, like Mike Williams is pretty solid. Keenan out. Like, it's not like he was devoid of any options. And then exactly. Hunter Henry at tight end. So he was going to have some good offensive weapons. Um, and that defense is, I would say a little bit better than this Tampa mm-hmm. defense. So um, maybe it was just to purely get out of the AFC. Um, so I thought I- that yeah, I don't know. That was curious, but maybe you have some insight on that. I mean, I had some thoughts, right? So you're thinking, right, so the NFC South is now just completely stacked, right? You're looking at um, the Saints with Breeze, which I'll get into in a second, but you're, you got Matt Ryan. Um, you got Teddy Bridgewater on the Panthers now. Like, I think the NFC South is, is going to be really, really exciting. But I think going back to Breeze, so right now they're one and two on the all-time touchdowns list. Right. Right. And so, like, you know, I don't know if Brady's thinking legacy, but if he is, right, this is the place to do it, and this is the person to do it against. Right? So, Interesting. like, you you have three legitimate star, you know, receivers, right? And then you have – so you can have this high-powered offense, right? And then twice a year you go against the guy – who's number one or number two, you know, depending on the week in the record books against him, right? And I think it's interesting to note, too, is before the NFL restructured, I think in like 2004, um, it was Brady versus Manning in the same division. Right. It's interesting to see him go head-to-head now, same division, against the other greatest quarterback of that generation. Right. And so, like, I don't know if that's – I don't know if that's uh, was in his mind at all, but – I mean, I think the storylines there are, like, they're juicy, and I think NFL media is going to be eating that up next season. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting storyline that I didn't really think of. Um, I think going, I guess, like, even going to Tampa, I think a lot of people kind of, it's like an out-of-the-box pick. Like, you wouldn't really think of Tampa as, like, a place that could attract Brady because I think if he had his choice, he'd probably be going back home to San Francisco. Um, mm-hmm. but San Francisco obviously didn't want him because of Jimmy G, which is kind of hilarious, actually, that Belichick mm. planned for that um, a couple of years ago, the mastermind that Belichick did, <laughs> maybe. Um, but, yeah, it's just a – I think it's a fascinating situation as to and, – and I'm sure media reports will be coming out about his motivations as to and, – and a press release will be out in terms of his motivations as to why he wanted to go to Tampa – um, because I think from maybe the casual NFL fan, that might be a little bit unclear. Um, so, like, but the narrative of, like, him versus Breeze, him kind of bringing up this Tampa team that hasn't had much on-field success. Like, they weren't – it's not like they were, like, one piece away from in, at quarterback um, in terms of, like, going to the Super Bowl or anything right. like that. Like, this was this has been a team that hasn't made the playoffs in a while, so right. it's so I think it's really interesting that he's kind of like taken this type of burden upon himself uh, to do that, and like over the course of his career, it's like pretty bad to ever doubt Tom Brady, um, right? But it's just I, I I just thought it's an interesting choice, not to say that people had it. Um, like people were reporting about it or the possibility of him going there. But the fact that he's actually now 
gone from New England is just kind of shocking to me, honestly. Like, yeah. I would have never believed that he would have left New England until um, I had it seen in print. And it's finally here. The day is here. The happiest day for Jets fans. <laughs> so, actually, let's kind of shift it over um, to um, some of the nostalgia of, like, the Brady years and your thoughts on on all that. Obviously, he's brought you uh, six Super Bowl rings. So, like, there, there's obviously, like, and considered probably the greatest of all time just in terms of best football player ever. Um, I think a lot of people call him that, call him that, like, greatest quarterback ever. Like, it's pretty much cemented. But the fact that he could have just, like, been that one player with one team, and you kind of saw, like, how we venerated or uh, kind of built up Kobe – um, in the aftermath of his death and what he did for LA, like Brady was that for Boston. So, right. Um, can you just like kind of talk about some of the impact uh, that he had when uh, being a Pats fan and stuff like that? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think to touch on his legacy, there is nothing that will ever make me love Tom Brady less. There's absolutely nothing he could ever do. Right. So like, I think his legacy amongst Pats fans is completely cemented and will never change. The only, it's just annoying because you would have loved him just a little bit more had he's ended here or ended with Boston, right? Ended with the, uh, not with uh, the Pats, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's the thing is that like, it's odd because in football, unlike like say basketball, it's very unusual to see your franchise star leave. Like, Aaron Rodgers never, is never going to leave, right? Drew Brees, I mean, well, Drew Brees isn't necessarily homegrown, but he's their guy. He's never going to leave, right? Mm -hmm. You don't see, like, the greats leave that often. Like, Peyton Manning was a huge, like, I, mean, I wouldn't say it was a huge surprise because he got kind of pushed out with Andrew Luck. But, like, um, I don't know. You just think about the franchise stars on, like, football teams who are quarterbacks, and, like, you just kind of assume that they're there for life. And this was... And, like, but this year has been weird. I mean, Phillip Rivers got let go. I mean, shit, the Panthers thought they had Cam Newton, like, as their franchise guy, like, four years ago. But now they're pushing him out, like. And so I don't know if the landscape of the NFL is changing at all in sense of, like, you know, this player movement that we see in basketball a lot. But I don't know. Um, just as a Pats fan, if he never wins a game again in Tampa Bay, he's still the greatest of all time. If he if he wins the Super Bowl in Tampa Bay, he's still the greatest of all time. I think there is no denying that. Um, and I don't know. I mean, he turned like Boston and football were not a synonymous term. You know, New England and football they were not a big thing. You know, like people didn't care about the Patriots twenty years ago. Yeah. And now we've become so accustomed to a standard of greatness that getting bounced out of the wild card round is a cause for displeasure, anger, dissatisfaction, like essentially rioting in the streets, you know? Yeah. Where most teams would be ecstatic to even make it into, like to win their division, much less make it to the wild card round, you know? And so, I don't know, I mean, like his legacy is undeniable. The things that he's done for the city, for football, for everyone in general, I mean, love him or hate him, I think he's, He's reached that Kobe-esque status in terms of you can't have a football conversation without Tom Brady. 
you know. Totally agree. Yeah, and, and so I, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and so like it's, it's interesting because like I mean, you brought up Kobe, and I was actually talking to a buddy of mine who is like essentially me but a Lakers fan, right? Okay. And so he was talking to me like we were talking about it for a little bit earlier today, and he was saying, you know, there was that time where Kobe wanted to leave the the Lakers, you know. Mm-hmm. And you know, had that actually happened, like his legacy is different. You know, I mean, obviously that was during Kobe's prime, but I think, you know, this will just be one of those footnotes, you know, where we're like, oh yeah, Joe Montana, you, you, most people forget, but you know, he left and played for the Chiefs for a little bit. Like everyone's still going to picture in their minds Tom Brady in the Pats jersey. Um, but I think also if he wins the Super Bowl with Tampa Bay, it carries that Peyton Manning kind of vibe where you see him in both. But I think, especially with Brady, you'll I don't know. It'll just, for me, it'll always be, you know, forever a Patriot. Yeah. It's it's just like a really fascinating, I would say, like, I guess like question for his legacy. Like, obviously I think you kind of outlined it perfectly in terms of like, you can't really take anything away, but I just think it would be, it would have been like that much sweeter if he ended his career for like the next two years or so. And it seems like the Pats were willing to have him back. So I, I think it it seems like maybe there was some discord in the relationship between him and Belichick in terms of whether or not Belichick was giving him enough resources, especially offensively, um, to to feel like he had the ability to win. And maybe that's where some of the fault may lie or some of the mis- miscommunication may lie between the two. Um, and I think that might be something that's probably going on in uh, Boston radio right now. Um, just them talking about like what they could have done to persuade Brady to come back for another couple of years. Um, so I, yeah, sorry. You know, um, I think to, to talk about that, I think it's interesting because Phil Jackson had this, uh, or no, sorry, Pat Riley, I think had a, had a quote or get a theory about the disease of me. And I'm sure you're familiar with it, but like, mm-hmm. He, I think he said, like, the disease of me is the defeat of us. It's like the most difficult thing for individuals to do when they become part of a team is to sacrifice. It's much easier to be selfish, right? And I think, not that, not to say Tom Brady is selfish, but I think one of the, I think there's two things that really struck me is that, like, the chronic feelings of being underappreciated and the paranoia of being cheated out of one's rightful share. And I would say... Of Like, those two things, I think, sum up part of this divorce, you know, in that I think Brady was feeling underappreciated, you know, and so I think he's he's taking the pay cuts year after year, and I'm sure you could look at the numbers and be like, well, he's making 15, 17, $20 million, right? But then you got some bum, like, I mean – Name them, like you got Kirk Cousins out there. You got Nick Foles making like stupid amounts of money. You got all these guys making absurd dollar amounts who haven't accomplished a tenth of what he's done, right? And so I think when it came time for him now at the end of the career to be like, hey, I think it's time for me to get what I deserve. And I think he's justified in the sense where he is right to ask for the money that he deserves. But at the same, and I think that's where, you know, this split happens is that he believes that he deserves it. But I think with the Patriots, especially with Bill Belichick, he doesn't care 
about what you've done in the past. And he only cares about what you're able to do now and at what dollar amount he thinks you're worth. And so I don't think it was a miscommunication problem because with Belichick, I watched the Belichick Saban documentary with Nick Saban and it's, it's yeah. an incredible documentary. And one of the things that they make very clear is that there are no communication problems. That mm -hmm. one of the things that they do the best is everyone knows exactly what they're there for, exactly what their job is. And they are told to do no more and no less. Right. And so like when it comes to communication, there's no way that that was the problem. I think it was the message that both of them heard that they didn't like. Yeah. And I, I think that, I think you kind of beautifully summed that up in terms of Brady and Belichick, like, and this is the, the beauty of their relationship and Belichick always has this standard and always lets people know where they're at, like you said, and he will pay the value that he thinks you're worth. And mm -hmm. even like, and it's, it's kind of amazing thinking about just the genesis and the start of Brady's career. Um, obviously, Mo Lewis ends up hitting um, Drew Bledsoe out of bounds replayed in Jets history at all time and, that was the, and all the time. And that was the start of Brady's career. And, you know, when Bledsoe came back healthy, Brady was playing well enough that Belichick was like, you know what, we're going to roll with this guy. And I think it just kind of shows the meritocracy um, that Belichick um, holds in terms of the culture that he's built in New England. And I think it's become evident that Brady has honestly not looked as good in as previous years. And he started to show signs of slippage um, this year. And I think, and he still played fairly decently well, but it's, it seemed like there were time at there are times where three to five years ago, you would be like, Oh, Brady can carry them through that situation. Um, even if there's deficiencies that in some of the offensive lines, he's going to find a way to win. Um, but, you know, more and more now recently, and it's kind of crazy to even talk about it like this, because in 2018, they won the suit, like they won last year. So it's just like, it's, it's pretty crazy to like, even think about things like that and for it to be over. So I, I'm, I'm still like kind of trying to wrap my head around Brady actually leaving. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, I think you pretty much summed it up very well that there's probably not a communication problem. And yeah, Belichick was like, you're not worth this to us. So we're going to let you walk. Um, and that takes a ton of balls on Belichick's part to be able to do that. So let's, no, absolutely. I actually, yeah, I actually want to swing over to what, the future of the Patriots looks actually before we we get into the future of the Patriots let's give Tom Brady his due Joe why don't you give me your favorite moments in Brady's career um with New England um I could think of a couple off the top of my head uh, off my head uh being a Jets fan and um being jealous of the success the Patriots mm -hmm. have had but, uh, yeah, give me some of your favorite moments of uh, I mean, Patriots. I, uh, I mean, I think to – I mean, since you're a Jets fan, I'll start off with one. Uh, the perfect pass to Randy Moss over Darrell Revis. Um, and then Darrell Revis just grabs his hamstring in the end zone and be like, oh, no, my hamstring. But, like, yeah, dude, okay, you just got smoked. Anyways, 
Yeah, that was a really good moment for me. I do remember um, that. Yep. There's another one where he jukes out Brian Erlacher for like a seven yard gain, and then he does a super ecstatic like first down celebration. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm smiling right now as I'm just like reminiscing on these moments. And then, I mean, even the 28-3 comeback from the Falcons Super Bowl, I think that's I think definitely, in my opinion, the greatest Super Bowl of all time. That and the Seattle game. Um, oh my Seattle God. Super Bowl. Yeah. yeah. But like the fact that I'm able to just list off Super Bowls, you go, oh, yeah, the first one was pretty good. Like, but uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, I think you know. Yeah, I think I think just the feelings after the the Atlanta Super Bowl where he just comes back, leaves the team, like because you go from him laying on the field trying to make that tackle for that pick six that he throws in the first half to him, you know, orchestrating the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. Um, I think that's definitely one of, like, I mean, it's hard to place which one's the favorite. Um, They're like kids, right? It's kind of hard to, like, say which Super Bowl is your favorite Super Bowl team. Yeah. Um, I mean, these moments are just beautiful. And I have to, like, I just got to say, like, you're never going to listen to this, but thank you, Tom. Like, (laughs) We're from the bottom of my heart, man. Yeah, Tom, we're going to at you um, on Twitter um, with yeah. the podcast. So, Please. actually, one, I think, like, there's just, like, a couple, like, really cool moments that I think think back to. And, like, we're, as a Jets fan, like, you've grown to hate this person. But, like, you know, not, like, actually hate them, but, like, sports hate them. That's, like, a difference, like, obviously. And and just in terms of, like, it's grown into, like, this respect where it's like, yeah, of course Tom Brady's going to do that. Of course he's going to march down the field. um, Right. Like, and score on the Jets. Like, it's not – it's almost like a foregone conclusion. But I I remember watching, like, the Brady Six. um, And, like, there was that documentary about, like, him getting chosen. And this is, like, a while back. Like, this This is, like, 2007, 2008. This is, like, before, like, all the latter half of his uh, career where he won a couple more Super Bowls. Um, that wasn't even played on there because it was before that. But I just remember the emotion that he showed um, when recounting his draft day, um, uh, his draft day, and, like, just the amount of emotion that he displayed in terms of, like how much that hurt him, I guess, like, and how much like he, how driven he was to be able to succeed and prove people wrong. And that's kind of the mentality that I'll always remember Brady by because, you know, a lot of people didn't believe in him. The Patriots didn't believe in him for six rounds. You know what I mean? So it's right. like, so like he was always driven by um, the lack the the perceived the lack of respect that he got like throughout the draft process um throughout his college career throughout his college career i think that documentary if you guys haven't watched it like it, it it summarizes beautifully like what he went through as like a recruit at michigan um dealing with the drew henson thing all that type of mm-hmm. stuff but it it's just kind of incredible the amount of emotion that he showed in that moment. Like he had won Super Bowls at that point. I think he had won three at that point. Yep. And he, like, he recounted the draft day like it was the other day, and you know it stuck with him because he was crying on on yeah. on the I mean, screen. He memorized the name of all six guys 
And, like, he just rattled them off. He's like, yeah, these are the six quarterbacks taken above me. Yeah. So And they're a and, bunch of bums. Well, yeah. So Chad Pennington was the Jets guy chosen in yeah. the first round. So that was tough. Tough to hear all that stuff. But, yeah, it's it's just pretty incredible to hear, like, the amount of, like, drive that he had and the amount of hard work. Like, And I think that's kind of stuck with him till this day. And, and that's what a lot of people, whenever they meet him or their teammates with him and you hear interviews, that's what a lot of people are struck by, his hard work and right. his work ethic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I guess like um, the, I guess like one of the other things that I was thinking of in terms of just like the way he played was like, there's like always that classic like run that he had, I think it was like against the Buffalo Bills or something like that. And he gets lit up. Right. And then he gets back up. He's like clapping his hands, trying to fire up his teammates after he lit up and hit. Um, and it just kind of shows like the demeanor he has, like understanding like he's the leader of this of this football team, and mm-hmm. the football team takes shape um, uh, the personality of what the leader is like on the team. And I think he does a really good job of being that leader um, on the football field. And I think those are some of the traits that I think of. And like. He's just been an incredible football player. That 07 season, and thankfully the Giants broke it up in that 07 perfect season, but that was like an incredible run too. Um, just right. Them going 18-0 and before they ended up falling in the Super Bowl. So, like, it's been a crazy run. Probably will never happen ever again, probably in our lifetime, um, if football's still around. And it's <laughs> like, yeah, it, it's just incredible to see i'm happy that he's gone because i'm a jets fan but um yeah can't disrespect what the greatest of all time has been able to do in new england um i mean yeah yeah, you you think about it right and like it's like generally hard for us to gauge just being like regular people um because like our jobs our lives don't have objective staff attached to them you know so like i work in it right it like cybersecurity stuff and so it's like there's no measurable statistic to say hey joe you're the greatest it cybersecurity guy we've ever had ever you know and but you think about what it takes to become the greatest at what you do right the best to reach the pinnacle of your profession right and it takes a maniac it takes someone who's absolutely batshit crazy Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at Kobe Bryant, you look at LeBron James, you look at all these guys, Michael Jordan, these guys are nuts. Like, because you're sacrificing everything about your life, all, like, the little joys, the little happiness, like, everything, in order to do a singular task. And every time I think about that, when it comes to, like, any basketball player, football player, any athlete, really, it blows my mind. Because you think about, yeah, like, he's – I think he was right to be disrespected um, out of college because he was neither the fastest, the best looking throwing the ball, not the strongest, didn't have the best stats, right? But then I think, I mean, in the uh, in that documentary, they say it themselves, like the one thing we can't measure is someone's heart, you know? And yep. I think, yeah, you, you touched it all, you touched on all these points too, but like you can't judge like someone's, physical abilities and think that that's all they are. Or you can't look at the numbers on a piece of paper and think that's all they are. 
but you don't realize this guy's a fucking maniac, you know, but that's yeah. the greatest thing you could ever ask for in yeah. a professional athlete to just totally. be maniacal. You look at Cristiano Ronaldo, like the guy's insane, you know, Yeah. like to be the greatest at what he does to like sacrifice eating the foods you want to eat, to do the things you want to do, to go out and party, enjoy the wealth, you know, um, and just thinking about that always inspires me. But then I realize I'm just a regular guy and I like eating <laughs> what I eat. <laughs> I like playing video games and not being the greatest of my profession. If my employer's listening, you didn't hear any of this. But yeah, like, you know, and so it just, it's such an admirable quality that I will always look up to and know that I, as a normal individual, will never achieve. And it, like, it doesn't break my heart to say that, you know? Yeah, I, I think what's I, I guess what's heartwarming about it though is that he does look like although he's six four can throw the football extremely well like for like for his age and everything like that. Like the heartwarming thing is that he isn't like one of these guys that had all the physical gifts like Andrew Luck um, or Cam Newton or you Cam know? Newton can like run through a brick wall be like Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes that just flings the ball and it's there 65, 70 yards later. Like, I think that's what's kind of inspiring in comparison to his peers. The physical traits that he has do not match up to, to those traits. Um, and he's been able to do it with preparation, hard work with uh, his mental game, um, just being smarter, being more prepared, working harder than everyone else. And I think that's where um, that's like some of the qualities that I can kind of take into it that, you know, you're given a certain set of talents in life. Right. But be, if you're able to prepare in a certain way, work hard in a certain way, you, it can take you a pretty far way. Um, so oh, that's kind of, exactly. So that's kind of like what I took from what Brady has been able to do um, as a Jets fan. It wouldn't be, um, it wouldn't be right if I didn't poke fun at him a little bit. Um, yeah, some of like watching his Facebook show. Um, obviously, the kids yeah. heard the kids heard around the world. Like, I mean, I just feel like that that'll never get downplayed. Um, but yeah, um, all the all the other stuff uh, set aside, like uh, his ideas on uh, pliability, things like that. So um, I, I, I do yoga now. And I right, eat right. anti-inflammatory foods now because I of feel, Tom Brady. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's his right-hand man's uh, name? Alex, Alex Guerrero. Guerrero. Alex Guerrero. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, like, they're all his about snake oil salesman. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, hopefully, he didn't hear that as well. But um, it's it's just fascinating to kind of see the brand that he's built and where his legacy is taken, um, how it's going to be taken when he's in Tampa. Um, Joe, so the the thing that I did kind of want to proceed to, and we've been talking about Brady for 40 minutes or so, where do you see the future of this Pats team going? Because obviously, like, you're a Brady fan. Like, you're going to see – you're going to probably want to see, like, how he's doing in Tampa, but you're – a fan of the New England Patriots and they have a sizable hole like quarterback right now. And a lot of the options in the free agency market are being ticked off. You kind of talked about, you touched upon Philip Rivers signing with Indianapolis today. You talked, talked about uh, Teddy Bridgewater signing with uh, Carolina Panthers. 
there's a lot of rumors going around that possibly Cam Newton trying to find his way uh, to to New England, but there's a pretty sizable hole at quarterback um, unless they're going to roll with Jarrett Stidham for a year and then maybe try to tank for one of um, what's his name? Trevor Trevor Lawrence. Lawrence. Exactly. So I think there's a lot of different ways uh, that Belichick can go, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts on what, um, what, where they go quarterback wise. Right. So I think, um, this is me being like a diehard fan of the team, right? So Brady's my ex-girlfriend now, right? She's my ex-wife. So you got to find She's a hotter, down... hotter yeah. better girlfriend, right? Well, no. So I'm just going to be single for a little bit, you know? Okay. Like, Interesting. Because like, All right. I look That's around true. and there's no, there's no Giselle Bunchen out there for me, you know? Mm. Like, I'm not, she's not, she's not just, she's not hanging out on this, my street corner where I'm like, be like, yo, what up? Can I buy you a coffee? You know, that kind of thing. Like, she's not going to walk into my life tomorrow. Right. But what I do have is you have, so like Jared Stidham is like, I wouldn't call him a rebound, you know, but he, he he's that rebound who could potentially be something more. Right. Um, and so you're looking at him. And honestly, the Patriots are higher on Jarrett Stidham than they were on Jimmy Garoppolo after their rookie season. Interesting. Right. Okay. I think, so, I, I, mean, I yeah. like where you're going with this analogy. Go ahead. Yeah. Right. So Jarrett Stidham, like he's like they we're higher on him than we were on Jimmy Garoppolo. And so I think there is a reason we did let Tom Brady go. And it's not that they believe Jarrett Stidham's the future, but I think that they're curious to see what they have in him. He's promising, but untested. Everything about him coming out before the draft was that there is no quarterback in that draft last year who can throw the ball better than Jared Stidham. The one thing that they had issues with was his decision-making and, like, his poor senior season, right? Yeah. And then he comes to the Patriots, and he's an understudy with Tom Brady for a year, right? What is the one thing Brady can teach him? Not how to throw the ball better, but decision-making, you know? And so, like um, – I think it's widely reported that Brady never really like helps out like his like understudies. Yeah. Like Jimmy Garoppolo, Brissett, like they're all friends, but Brady would like not really go out of his way to be like, Hey man, this is how to be me. He's just like, Hey, you see what I do, do what I do, but I'm not going to tell you to do it. You know? And so I think, I mean, Stidham, like obviously you can't take up, take away too much from preseason. Right. But he had an incredible preseason. Like, last year to well enough to where they traded away Tom Brady's longtime backup, Brian Hoyer. Right. And so mm-hmm. I think there are, there were a lot of signs last year to where, you know, because before the season started, everyone was like, are the Patriots going to roll with three quarterbacks? You know, and like that was, that was a legitimate question. And then Stidham balls out and they give, they trade away Brian Hoyer and they roll with Stidham for the rest of the year. Right. And so I, I can't downplay the fact that like, I think, you know, come the start of the league season, Stidham has probably like a 75% chance in my eyes of being the starting quarterback. Interesting. Uh, you know, I, I didn't foresee that happening, but I think as the options dwindle in free agency, it's looking like more and more of a possibility. Well, I could see us bringing in Brissett, bringing back Brissett as a competition for Stidham. Okay. Uh, he has familiarity with our system. He's now a surplus to requirements in Indy because they have Hoyer and they have Phillip Rivers. And Philip Rivers is obviously being paid to be the starter. So I think they might cut Brissett or trade him back to the Patriots for, like, chump change, right? 
Interesting. And so okay. you think about like, yes, I think, I think there's going to be like legitimate competition at quarterback they're going to bring in for Stidham. Whether, I mean, I know like the Jags are trying to trade Nick Foles, but with that albatross of a contract, there's no way he comes to New England. Um, and then Jameis Winston is a, I think you cannot out coach his poor decision making. Um, okay. Maybe. You could, was... And then, yeah. And, and if you look at, say, Cam Newton, you yep. see the same issues. First off, like, he can throw the ball a mile, right? And he can zip it down the field with a flick of a wrist, you know? But I think the one thing is, one, he's super injury prone because he refuses to, like, preserve himself. And two, like, I think he's too much of a weird locker room presence. Like, you think about... Doesn't um, fit the so, like, Patriot culture. I don't think so, right? And then, and so I think they're going to try and bring in a guy... And that's why you're looking at Brissett and you're looking at Stidham because these are two guys who are homegrown talents who are, you know, indoctrinated in that Patriot way, right? And so I don't think you bring in someone who's potentially volatile like Winston or like um, Cam Newton. And so, I don't know. Like, I'm, you look forward at it. And I think that's what it is uh, at quarterback. And then, obviously, they're probably, I think they're going to pick someone probably like third or fourth round in the draft. I think there's some good prospects out there who can come in and compete. But I also think rolling with, you know, two, like a sophomore and a rookie quarterback is probably not the best idea. I think they're going to try and bring in some experience. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a really interesting analogy that you put up there. Uh, hot ex-girlfriend. Now you're, you're on the prowl single, basically. Maybe stay mm-hmm. single for a season. And then maybe, you know, down the pipeline, if it doesn't work out with this rebound girl, that you're talking about in Jared Stidham, then you move on and you Yeah, go, you're still technically single, baby. <laughs> yeah, and then and then you go to someone like um someone like uh Trevor Lawrence in the draft, um, if they if they start tanking bad enough. Um, All right, so I think there there is yeah. no tank. There's no tank. Interesting. Um, okay. Well there's I, I absolutely think, no tank. I, I it it'll be really interesting to hear um some of the the um i guess um differing uh types of expectations in patriots fans uh knowing that they don't have this stability at quarterback and they feel like every other fan um base in the nfl where there's there is uncertainty um so i think it'll be interesting to hear uh the patriots be or patriot fan base be like wow so this is what it's been like for uh, 20 years to be a fan of the Jets or, or the Bills or the Dolphins. Um, <laughs> so I think it'll be really interesting to see the change in expectations that some Patriots fans have, because I don't know um, if people are going to be de- able to deal with that. As Look, well. I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm coming in with cautious optimism. Um, because the one thing we do have is still a championship caliber defense. Okay. And so, like, I think there's no doubt in my mind that, like, because we have the reigning defensive player of the year now, Stephon Gilmore. We still have a stacked secondary. We brought back Jason McCourty. Um, we re-signed Matt Slater. So, like, the leadership in the locker room is still there. Like, these are two of our team captains that we just re-signed and brought back. And so I think that locker room is still going to be performing, like, at the same expectations that they were at in previous years. I think just because Tom Brady leaving, I think, doesn't change the work ethic, doesn't change the team chemistry, and I don't think it changes 
much outside of the quarterback position because I think that's just the way the Patriots are, right? The next man up, and like no matter who goes down, everyone else steps up, right? So you, you saw it with like the Matt Castle season, right? We went 11 and five, and I'm thinking at our most optimistic, we win the division and get into the wild card round. I think that's I think that's the ceiling, you know. Um, but I, I I think the floor is like an eight and eight season. Interesting. Yeah, I, I don't see us going worse than that. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how the season plays out. I mean, I I think for sure the Jets aren't any better than where the what the Patriots are right now. Um, you know, Dolphins can be somewhat interesting and frisky, especially depending who they take at quarterback um, in the draft. Um, a lot of mock drafts have them taking to a tag of Bailoa. And then also the Bills have, you know, they traded for Stefan Diggs and they have some interesting pieces. Um, and they made uh, they made a run into uh, the playoffs last year. So Yeah, I, but I don't believe in Josh Allen. Okay, interesting. He's, so uh, he's yeah, J.P. Lozman for me. I don't, <laughs> right, throw, old throwback uh, there. So I, I'm curious to see, like, whether Allen's ready to take the reins. And, like, I think a lot of people will think about possibly putting him um, and the Bills as AFC East, like, favorites now. I'd be curious to see what the odds are on that, the gambling odds are. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't see, like, a huge drop-off in the Patriots. Um, and I think, I'm think i pretty sure Belichick is going to be extremely motivated to prove that Tom Brady wasn't, it wasn't all about Tom Brady um, right. here. And, like, he proved that for that one season with Matt Castle. I believe it was 08 or so when he yeah. tore his ACL, um, when Brady tore his ACL um, that first they game went 11 and 5. Yeah, they went 11 and 5, didn't make the playoffs, but went 11 and 5. So, I mean, Belichick's proven that, you know, and this – and Matt Castle was, like, a seventh round. He's no star. Yeah, or, he's I think no he was, like, star. undrafted. So, he wasn't a star yeah. or anything like that made a nice career after uh, post-Patriots. Um, so, like, I that think that's like, kind of, like $50 million off that right. one season. So, it's pretty interesting. Like, I wonder how they're going to be able to operate. But I think Belichick's kind of already proven that. And it'll be really interesting to see how Brady operates outside the confines and the comfort of being in New England. Patriot way. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Joe, is there anything else that you wanted to add about Tom Brady? Anything uh, that you wanted to say? I'll give you the final word. It's hard to, like, I don't know. It's hard to sum up just the way I feel about Brady, about the things that he's done for the Patriots. Yeah, I, I know. I think he's done for the league, you know. Um, yeah. I'm I'm pretty like, like putting you on the spot, honestly, because yeah. like you haven't had time to grieve this whole thing. Um, you haven't gone through the seven stages of grief yet. But right. um yeah, and and the news just happened this this morning, but yeah, just try to do the best that you can. Yeah. I mean there's no sports figure I'll ever revere more than Tom Brady. This um, is interesting. As a Boston sports fan, um, before before I let you get get into it, as a Boston sports fan, where does he rank in the pantheon of Boston sports figures? So I mean, I, I was never, I, I wasn't really alive for Bill Russell, for Larry Bird. Um, I think the Celtics that I enjoyed were obviously Paul Pierce, 
Isaiah Thomas, Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen. I mean, I know even Ray Allen, right? Um, and like, obviously with the young core they, the Celtics have now, I mean, it's promising, but I don't think you can, and then you look at the Red Sox, right? You got like David Ortiz, um, and even Kurt Schilling, right? You got, uh, you, you got a bunch of, you have this pantheon of, of great athletes, you know? But I think there is no single sports figure besides Tom Brady in the most competitive year after year sustained success that I have seen in my lifetime. And I think, especially with the popularity of the NFL, the difficulties of operating under the salary cap, the difficulties of sustaining success in a league that is designed for parity, um, especially with salary cap, the way the drafts are organized, especially with the controversies that we've gone through, survived, and thrived despite. Um, I think no other sports figure, you know, that I'm aware of has created this us against the world year after year, like, oh, sorry, like, fuck you to the haters kind of like sustained period of success. You know, like you could look at anybody in Boston and I think he's, he's it, you know, he's the one. Um, I think every other sports team in Boston looks up to the Patriots. Every year, the other like every other every other Boston coach comes to the New England organization and like wants to learn from Belichick. They want to see like how did you do this, you know? And I think his ability to coexist with Belichick, you know, the most militant coach you could ever get in your life. Um, I think the fact that that marriage is able to last for twenty years in and of itself is incredible. You know, to be the undisputed greatest at your position to take the low market value year after year all in sacrifice for what he sees as the greater good. Um, I think that aspect of his desire to win, you'll never see that again. Cause I think no, I think every NBA player, if offered a below market value contract, they're gone. You know, I think if Jason Tatum gets offered below a max contract, he leaves. I think if Paul Pierce gets less money than he deserves, he leaves. Um, any of these guys, you know, and oftentimes you have to overpay to keep your stars. But with Brady, you never had to do that. And uh, I mean, up until now. And so I think even just from a sports aspect, he's changed the way that, you know, I mean, the NFL PA hates him because he's an anti-union guy because you want to keep raising the market value, but um, he just didn't do that because he didn't care. And so, I mean, that's one thing, but I think just the pride that he's allowed me to have in being from Rhode Island, from the New England area, is, I think that's what it's special to me, is that, like, you can wear the jersey, everyone will make fun of you, they'll be like, oh, Brady sucks, he cries, you know, whatever, you know, deflate gate, spy gate, they'll say all that at you, but it bounces right off, because he just, I have six banners hanging on my wall in my living room, you know? And so I think that's the thing that he's, mm, I guess, contributed to my life in that, like, yeah, I'll never meet him. He'll never know I'm a huge fan, but I'll always be able to look back at those, like, six Super Bowls, those moments in my life where I get to celebrate uncontrollably, even obnoxiously. Um, And I think those are moments that, 
I just can't, you can't really quantify. You can't quantify pride. And I think it gives you an immeasurable amount of pride to be from a region to support a team and to have them have as much success as they had. And so I think that's what I would sum up my fandom and how I feel about just, I guess, Brady's legacy in New England is just an immeasurable amount of pride that he's been able to allow me to wear. Um, he's bestowed it upon me, upon every fan, upon every supporter of the team or of him. I think just being able to be proud of someone you've never met, being able to be proud of something, something you've never done. Uh, I think that's, the, I mean, it's the incredible thing about sports, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I just, I think that's how I would sum it up. Yeah. Uh, that was like a love letter to Tom Brady. Hopefully he, he gets to hear this podcast. So um, thanks again, Joe, for coming on uh, to the pod. And uh, yeah, I'm, I, I'm glad that I was able to get your thoughts. Probably the biggest Patriot fan that I know. Um, I mean, I grew up with a Patriots fan. My dad um, has always been a Patriots fan. I, I would have to admit maybe a little bit of a bandwagon fan um, once they started wanting winning in 01. But, uh, yeah, um, he's it's it's pretty cool to kind of see um, his excitement through his eyes um, um, and the, through the Patriots' success and all that stuff. So, Joe, thanks again for coming back onto the podcast. Um, yeah, and uh, it, it's pretty incredible – um, what we've been able to see Tom Brady uh, produce and achieve in New England. And I'm curious to see if he'll do that in Tampa next year. Hey, thanks for having me, man. And now I have my good friend, Chris Cardone, on the podcast. Um, as a fellow Jets fan, probably the happiest day of our lives, and that might be an understatement, uh, Christmas in the middle of March um, amidst all this coronavirus stuff. So, Chris, welcome on the podcast. And, yes, Tom Brady is finally gone. It is great to be back, Kev. I'm, I'm smiling ear to ear, listening to your introduction. I'm kicked back on my couch. I got my feet up. I mean, I, I don't even think I'm on this, like, hellscape earth anymore with the coronavirus. It's, there's no worries anymore because for Patriot fans – Welcome to nine and seven, seven and nine, four and four and twelve, four and twelve. This is your reality. Welcome to the mud. Welcome to misery. It's it's really a shame that that we're we're, we're doing this podcast now because I wish it was for the March Madness one. That was brings so much joy to my life watching college hoops. But what also brings me a lot of joy is watching the spoiled Patriot fans who say that their season starts at the AFC Championship game. And you know what, Kev? They're not wrong. They I weren't looked. wrong, no. I looked, and besides last year when Tractor Cito ran them over, they went to the AFC Championship game eight years in a row. And I'm the biggest NBA hater you'll ever find. The regular season, the load management, yeah, the playoffs are great. The Warriors, oh, it's this dynasty. That's nothing. Eight AFC championship games in a row. It's unbelievable. And just to sit back on Twitter today 
just read all these like you can't, you can't even believe it. You read Dave Portnoy from up down all this the backtracking, the looking for the future. I'm not buying it for a second. All I heard was zero point zero zero percent chance he goes anywhere else other than New England. And here we are. I think I have to get the pewter and silver jersey. I think I have to. Yeah. Just, I think I have to. I think I have to. I'm I'm the number one Bucks fan now. It's a, I'm gonna I'm gonna lead the charge. It's honestly incredible that he decided to leave and is now on the Bucks. And I I'm, I just can't even imagine him in the jersey itself. Like I'm trying to envision it, and I can't even. Like someone's got to do the Photoshop job of him on like the sports center or ESPN Instagram with him with the Bucks jersey. Cause I really can't imagine it, especially seeing him in Patriots colors. And it's, it's just beautiful and incredible. I just got off the phone phone and you're going to be um, the second part of the podcast, but I just got off the phone probably with one of the biggest Patriots fans I know. And one of my dear friends, Joe, and he was just, it the tone in his voice was something to be celebrated. Just the somberness, the sadness. He was trying to reflect on good times, but I know it hurt deep down inside because all he could do was like, oh man, I'm going through seven stages of grief right now. And it was just beautiful to capture that moment. So, Well, I, uh, I can't yeah. wait to listen to that, to that part of the podcast because I'm sure it's the voice of a guy who's facing the reality that his quarterback next season could very likely be Andy Dalton. Which I just it 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 gives me to Andy Dalton. I mean, it's the possibilities are endless for mediocre yeah. quarterbacks to be under center for the Patriots. It's just it's just great. But I will say, I will say, for some reason, Jameis Winston scares me. Wow, I he scares me. I didn't expect to hear he that. He scares me, and I know okay. it was a pivot because when you close your eyes. Just close your eyes if you're listening. This is this is this is great radio. Close your eyes. The New England Patriots. What do you see? It's the hood, right? It's Belichick, and it's Brady, and it's it's gone. But here's the thing about Jameis. While that while that piece is gone, right? It's Brady. It's Belichick. While that piece is gone, Jameis Winston literally couldn't see. Everything he he's like squinting. Like the guy can't see. And I've read when he pitched. He wore contacts or glasses. Why would you not do that? doesn't matter because he got Lasix this offseason. So this guy, 40 touchdowns, 40 interceptions, but now he can see? It's the craziest thing I've ever seen in my entire life, that this, that this guy would play without, without his eyes corrected. But for I, some reason, and it I would know. be our luck, if he signs with the Patriots and all he needed – was LASIK eye surgery. How do you feel about that? I know. I, I, that was the pivot that I did not see coming from you, honestly, (laughs) but always up for a surprise. Honestly, the fact that like the doctors, like he didn't have an eye doctor to be like, Hey, Jameis, you should be wearing glasses or you should be at least rec specs. You know, they fog up a little bit, but, and they're uncomfortable, but you should probably be wearing this. So you won't throw 30 interceptions or whatever you're throwing. Um, it's incredible that he didn't have a team doctor 
analyzing this at all. They're like, oh, you know, four years into into your career at Tampa, hey, maybe you should be wearing contacts or po- possibly getting this LASIK thing. You have a huge salary, huge contract. You know, God knows you can uh, uh, afford it. So it's incredible that he didn't have that. I'm surprised that you pivoted that way. What well, I think that's the inner jet. It's the inner jet fan in me. Yeah, that totally. is. It's never like you're thrilled, but it's like, is is this really? Like, is this really? But I think I have to. I think I am there because I think he is, as of right now, the best case scenario. Because the alternatives are what? It's Andy Dalton. Could you get Derek Carr? Maybe Nick Foles. You got to trade for him, right? Jacoby Brissett coming back. Jacoby like, Brissett, not, yeah. Not appealing. Not, I, I, it's, it's just not appealing. My, my thing that I was thinking about was, and this is what I'd be scared about, but I don't know if the Patriots would even be bad enough under Belichick because of the, their defense and some of the other pieces that they have um, in their offensive running back in their backfield. But tanking for Trevor Lawrence? Like, I think that's a real possibility, and that's what I'd be extremely worried about if I'm a Jets fan. That, that's certainly the other nightmare scenario, yeah, that they do tank all the way. Now, I will say there are, there are a couple of things that are, have just been – because it, it really did I, – I never thought. I don't know about 0.0, but I really didn't think that he was going to leave the Patriots. And you see them make all these sort of – basically win now moves in free agency or continue to keep this, this great run that they're on rolling. And then you see how much Brady gets paid by the bucks and you go, this is totally doable, which tells me that, that there was some sort of falling out or incompatibility between Belichick and the front office and Brady, because the 30 million number, it's not some, it's doable for them. And they're making moves that they want to keep it going. If they weren't signing the free agents that they have been, and then Brady walks, I would have said, okay, yeah, Trevor Lawrence, okay, they're going to win two games next year. <laughs> but I see the moves they've made and the number that the, that the Bucks paid for him, and I go, there's, there's something else going on here between Belichick, the front office, and Brady. What do you think of that? Yeah, honestly, at the end of the day, when I was talking to my friend about this kind of scenario, his, I mean, his thinking was Belichick always makes it clear what, in terms of communication, like where you stand and the value that I'm going to pay you. And he's not going to pay a dime over uh, what he thinks you're worth. And I think at the end of the day, Brady kind of got tired a little bit of getting underpaid for years and years, taking, taking the hometown discount um, to help his team win. And he was like, look at Ryan Tannehill. He's getting paid $29 million a year. Why am I not getting paid that much money? Especially after five years of taking, you know, getting paid $15 million, $16 million, $20 million. It's kind of hard to see someone like um, of Ryan Tannehill's talent get paid that much money. And then you hear like, you know, Philip Rivers is going to get paid 25 mil. Like, I like I'm, I think at the end of the day, at a certain point, guy has an ego, and you have to – and he wants to get paid certain amount to kind of establish himself as one of the best quarterbacks in the league um, and be adequately paid that. And I think at the end of the day, that 
the talks broke down because Belichick didn't think he was worth that. I think so. And uh, now, with that being said, I I don't really think the Bucks are the best fit for Brady <laughs> that, for, yeah. for quite a few reasons. I don't now. Can you name me an offensive lineman on their team? I can, I thought you were going to ask me to name the offensive coordinator. I had to look it up and found out it was Byron Leftwich. But I I can't <laughs> I can't name. I'm trying to think. I think they have that guy from Hobart on the offensive they line. They do. Uh, All okay, right. so there we go. They got a D3 guy on their O-line. Okay, so I'm one for one for five. I, cu- I couldn't name the, the NFC South I have. And I'll tell you what, speaking of that, that's a tough division. Tough I know division. the Falcons are down, but Matt Ryan, look, that's, that, that, that's a good team. Obviously, you got Breeze. And I like Teddy Bridgewater on the Panthers. That's not – this is not the Jets. This is not, you know – the Bills are better now, but this is not the Dolphins. This is a, this is a serious division. Yeah, my – I mean, and then my worry is they don't even have a running game. Like, you're really going to hand the ball off to Ronald Jones, and it's not like Brady is going to be – like, you really want Brady to throw the ball 40 times. Obviously, the weapons that he has are markedly better than what he had in New England – but 40 times throwing it for Brady, I just don't know if that's a sustainable formula for success. I don't know if it is at all, especially the kind of route. I mean, you know, Godwin's great, and then you got Evans. But, you know, Brady, it's like a couple steps drop and the, and the ball's out. He's not really, you know, the deep stuff anymore. He doesn't get himself in trouble. He never really takes hits. The ball's just out immediately. I, I don't know because – I, I really haven't seen – I mean, Winston, it's just like you're watching the red zone and it's like just back and forth. The score's like 28 to 35. You have no idea what's going on or how, you know, this team is actually going to play without someone like him under center. But I, I really don't know. I, I think he should have made a better effort to, to try to sign with, with the Titans. I think that's where he, he should have ended up. Interesting. And I, I think the Bruce Aaron like the Bruce Arians element to all of this, like in terms of him like the type of offense that he has, he's not the type of guy that like dinks it and dunks it. He's sending guys vertical a lot of the time. Um and that is something that Brady's kind of fallen off on that I mentioned to my friend, um, that he's fallen off on in terms of his deep passing game. Um, ha- like doesn't get himself in trouble, gets the ball out of his hands quickly. I wonder if they kind of start to do a little bit, do things a little bit differently in terms of getting the ball out of his hands quicker. Um, and and then I guess like moving to like the other teams that he could have had choices with, like over the last couple of days, it seems like you know t- the Titans gave Ryan Tannehill that much money. $118 million over four years with $62 million guaranteed. I mean, it's kind of crazy that off the back of Derrick Henry um, and his playoff performance, Ryan Tannehill got paid $30 million a year. So it doesn't seem like the Titans were that interested in Brady with the amount of money that they offered Tannehill. And I, I don't know, like, like if you had the decision in terms of whether to go to Tampa or go to the LA Chargers, which uh, were which was the other team that was being widely reported as um, being in for Brady, I think I'm choosing the Chargers. Okay, 
I mean, yeah, yeah the Chargers. Look, you, you've got it. You've got a great running game. Eckler's a total stud. Um, you know, I, I just thought you know the the variable connection was 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 going to work for them. And you know, Kenny Hill was throwing like nine passes a game. It was just it's incredible. And then really, even how they just treat uh, Henry, where he just he doesn't even really run that much in the beginning of the year. Then they like realize he's on the team and he's just running for two hundred yards a game for like the last ten weeks of the season. Um, the LA appeal more than anything team wise, I thought was going to be for Giselle. I mm-hmm. thought if she wanted to be in LA, that that was going to be what made that happen more than anything in terms of what's on the field. And, you know, I, sometimes I feel like it, it can sway certain people, but I never really thought that Brady would, he would kind of be the one on the field, but now he's <laughs> with the Bucks and I, and, yeah. I, and I have absolutely no idea what – I mean, it's it's going to be tough to make the playoffs. I really think it's going to be tough to make the playoffs. I think nine wins, ten wins is a really successful season in that division for, for that team. Yeah, and, I mean, yeah, the Giselle thing I didn't even think about. But, man, 20 years in – like, in that Massachusetts area for Giselle to be, like, put it away there and tw- for 20 years, maybe he could have done something for her to go to L.A., you know, just one time on it. Like, so it's like, um, yeah, but he chose Tampa. It's, it's not, I don't think it's going to be easy. Um, Like, it seems like New Orleans is, I mean, New Orleans is the prohibitive favorite in that NFC South. Um, They're probably looking at a wild card spot, uh, realistically, um, in Tampa. And it's not, it's very competitive in the NFC. Like, um, you know, the Rams had a down year in the West. San Francisco, obviously, Seattle's very good. Green Bay, Minnesota, Dallas. Like, it's there's not that many teams or not many spots for teams to kind of make it into the playoffs. So, I I mean, always they're always changing every year, obviously. And I, I think, like, the statistic is, like, usually half of the teams that made the playoffs don't make the playoffs the, the next year. Mm-hmm. But – I don't really trust some of the pieces on this um, on this Bucks team, namely the offensive line. So that's what I'm. If I'm him, I'm worried about. Sure, and I think just to take a chance to reflect on the past twenty years, and really, I would say the past I don't know fifteen of them, going to start every season as a Jet fan, oh, knowing that you're not going to win the division. Yeah. <laughs> you don't, but you're not going to win the division. And I don't think a lot of, I mean, I guess the Bills and the, and the well, I think the Dolphins, did the Dolphins win the division once? They might have won it once. But I think they won it once in like 02 or something. To go into season, in 02, to go into every season and just, it's here it is again. It's just again and again. And they're not wrong. They were never wrong. Oh, our season starts at the AFC Championship. Well, yeah, I mean, it did. They were They were totally right. But it's gone now, and we're we now can stay. It's a new. It's a, I. Rem, I saw a highlight of. I guess the Jets were. They were. I don't even know if it was the home or the away game against the Patriots this year. But they were of course getting blown out, and Jared Stidham went in, and he immediately threw a pick six. Immediately, yep. and then of course he got taken out of the game. And then today, some people be like, well, I mean, the Patriots are pretty high on Jared Stidham, and you're just like, this is great! 
waters. That it's just your safety blanket, whatever it is, your little, you know, pacify. It's it's over. It really is over. Yeah, and, and I it, think. Yeah. Go ahead, Kev. No, and it, no, it's kind of funny because my friend that I was talking to before this thought that Jared Stidham seventy five. He's giving it seventy five percent chance that he's going to be the starter next year. This is insane. Oh, I saw why he immediately threw a pick six. Yeah, I forgot about I it. I yeah, really thrown. Yeah, seventy-five percent. I think that's a little high. I really do. I think that's a little high on Stidham. But yeah, just the, the Patriot fans I hear they just they say, well, Belichick always has a plan. He always has. Well, I don't know. Yeah, at, at the end of the day, and I think the hard thing for me, like there's evidence in the past that Belichick can succeed with the right pieces around him. Brady was out for that. I believe 08 season when he tore his ACL, they go 11 and five. They didn't make the playoffs. I I think that was the year they didn't make the playoffs. They went 11 and five, didn't make the playoffs. I think that was the year Miami went uh, to the playoffs instead of them, but still went 11 and five. Um, Any other year they would have made the playoffs. So, like, there is evidence that Belichick can coach around this problem. It's just the fact that Brady is never coming back again. That's, like, the that's just, like, the cherry on top of all of that. It's the best. I've heard that. I've heard that from, from quite a few Patriot fans in mourning. They, they seem to think that because they won 11 games or whatever it was in Matt Castle in one season. The reality is Brady, or Belichick, rather, has a – losing record as a head coach without Tom Brady under center. That is their reality. And I think going forward, it it will depend. I think they, they – I don't think Stidham is going to be in the mix. I, I don't think there's there there's a way that, that they're going to start that <laughs> kid after what they saw last season. Whatever, if you want to call him a red shirt, I don't even know what – what you'd call him. But who I also want to see who flies under the radar all the time is Josh McDaniels. And he had a shot, and then he just turned full 180 and was was out of there because he didn't want to have his own coaching job. But he's had his security blanket, Tom Brady, for so long. So I'd like to see what, you know, magic he can work as offensive Mm -hmm. coordinator without Tom Brady under center because he's kind of skated by a little bit for a pretty long time, never wanted to take his his, – his own head coaching job when he well had the chance to do so and just kind of said, no, you know, I'll just stay with Brady. I'm not going to do this and not run it back. But here he is now with, with a chance to just really prove himself. So I can't wait to see what Josh McDaniels can unlock with whoever's under center. What do you think of that? Yeah, I, that I didn't even think about that, but this really just brings me back to kind of like, yeah, like back to the beginning of, our our conversation, Chris, in terms of Patriots will find out what it's like to be like every other single fan base, um, at least for this season, just to see like what it's like to not have the greatest of all time quarterback um, in their midst, in their midst, and then like saving them from all these situations. Like they're going to be like, you know, God forbid they have someone like Jared Stidham throw a bunch of picks. Like I, it's like yes, they'll get to experience what seven and nine feels like, and yes, those expectations are going to change dramatically um, for a lot of these Patriots fans for years to come if there's not that same success this year. Um, 
So, yeah, I don't know where else to go with this, Chris, but um, actually one thing that I did want to talk to you about since I do have the, one of the one of my uh, one of the top Jets fans that I do know, let's turn it around, talk about our Jets for a little bit, because it's not like the Jets are really helping their case in the offseason either. So it's like it's like, yes, this is probably one of the best things ever to happen to Jets, to Jets fans. Um in history, but it's not like in the off season they are doing anything remotely well. They did sign one guy that I did like today, Connor McGovern, to shore up their center position in their in the offensive line. But you know, thirty million to George Fan, I, you know, like I'm not in love with that move. So I don't know where you want to take uh, what your thoughts are on the Jets off season and uh, what you think about the front office coaching, all that stuff. Sure. I guess we'll start then with Joe Douglas because this is his time of the year. He hasn't really made any moves. I mean, yeah, I like the center too. They gave him a ton of guaranteed money, so we'll see about that. The guy's hand is like a sixth offensive lineman. Like it's – I don't really understand this. Unless they they are very confident that they're going to get their left tackle and they're going to move this guy to the other side where he's not, you know, on the blind side – they haven't really made any other moves. Now, you know, Douglas is pretty handicapped by what he's already been given. I don't think neither him nor Adam Gase really want Le'Veon Bell, and they're kind of just either stuck with him or really there's no good trade value. It's not like what we've seen for the wide receivers as long as you're not Bill O'Brien. Um, <laughs> yeah. But you're kind of handicapped to that. I think the <laughs> it's literally the last thing we want to hear as Jet fans, but – the way the NFL is today, you have to build your team through the draft. Because if you get the studs through the draft, whatever they're making, even if they're a first-round pick, it's pennies compared to what they're actually going to make when you got to sign them in free agency like a C.J. Mosley compared to what he was making when you know the Ravens drafted him. So you just have to draft well. And that starts with, with this year, and they're, they're going to have to do that because – you know, they need to get the offensive line together. But I think one of the bigger problems is I don't know if Sam Darnold is the franchise quarterback for the Jets. Mm, and there are a lot of Jets fans that are like, he's the guy, this is going to be it. We've just got to get an O-line and he's turnkey. And I haven't seen it. Now, mm. he, he was completely devoid of weapons, they'll say, and this and that. And I guess to a certain extent that is true. I don't really like many of the Jets wide receivers. I actually don't like any of them except for Jameson Crowder. But even without the weapons and the no O line, I just it's tough. It's 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 hard. I'm not out on him, you know. I don't. He's just a kid. He's super young, obviously. But I'm not like totally gung ho, like a lot of these Jet fans are. That he's the franchise and it's it's going to be amazing. We just gotta to button this up. So what do you think about that? Yeah, I think for him, I'm a little bit more on the positive side with Darnold. I like I'm one of those fans if you give him enough talent like he's going to be able to do well they just haven't give like give him an offensive line that that'll give him more than two seconds to throw the ball like I like if he has a competent offensive line I think he's able to do a couple of things um that's like the frustrating part about how this team is built and hopefully Joe Douglas is able to draft well I think you're right in your assertion with like you've got to build through the draft. 
I think Douglas understands that. He kind of comes from the Ozzie Newsom tree through the Ravens and through Phil, uh, Philadelphia. So he kind of understands, like, you have to draft well and you supplement through free agency. Um, so hopefully he's able to take that. But you got to hit on these picks. And, and if you're not able to hit on these picks, we've seen time and time again the Jets try through free agency to fill big holes. And it ends up blowing up in our face after year after year two. Like year one goes, okay, they go nine and seven, ten and six, and then dramatic drop off after these free agents start getting older, um, content with their money, and then they they don't perform as well. So um, hopefully they're able to turn it around. My problem, I think, is uh, the head coach, Adam Gaze. Is uh, yeah, I've been out on him since day one. So that that hasn't been great. I, I think also the Jets took a huge hit in terms of uh, their PR and like how free agents view them, especially with the way they dealt with um, uh, Kelechi Osemele and that shoulder injury. Like I like do free agents want to come to a team that is going to nickel and dime them in terms of whether or not he has an injury or not. So I think that's probably a worry as well. So yeah, just wanted to get your quick thoughts on the Jets. Obviously, we still have the Jets still have a ton of things to work on, even with Brady gone from the division out of the conference. Uh, don't even really have to think about him on Tampa. So thankfully, there's that. Um, and uh, yeah, Chris, thanks again for coming back onto the podcast. Which you, we were talking about uh, March Madness right now, um, but with all the coronavirus stuff, we're stuck with talking about the Jets and Tom Brady. It always comes back to Brady somehow, doesn't it? It always does, Kev, but his clock is at triple zeros. Now we got to set the Adam Gase countdown clock, and then maybe we can really get rolling here and maybe win the division. Dare to dream, because we can now. Just we set, can dream. <laughs> set those high expectations, Chris. There it is. Um, all right, I'm right there with you. Thanks again, Chris. And everyone, uh, stay safe out there, obviously, with all the stuff that's going on with coronavirus. Um, I'll probably be pumping out more content because – I'll be, I'll have a lot of time on my hands. Can't leave the house really. So um, yeah, just keep enjoying the the NFL content that we're going to be pushing out. And I'm actually probably going to be dropping a a story, a written piece about Tom Brady, his connection with my dad, being a Pats fan, all that type of stuff on my website that I'll probably be releasing by the end of the week. So thanks again for listening. Chris, thanks again for coming back on. Always a pleasure, Kev. Jet up. I hope you hear this message and I hope it makes you smile. Don't worry about me, baby, cause I swear that I'll be fine. I got a girl with a mind on love. The kind of love that is dangerous. It knocks me down, but I get back up. And I'm addicted, I can't get enough.